Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good? All right. So if you're joining us for the first time, we're currently in a three-part mini-series called We Are Church. And as we're going through these, this three-part, we're in our second week this week, we're defining the mission statement of who we are as Five Stones. And for those that have taken the E1 class that we've just mentioned, what are the three statements that we define ourselves with? What is our mission statement? They're, they, they are? Oh, good job, church. Gospel, disciple, influence. That is our mission statement. You'll see that around our church. You'll see us talking about it. But in this mini-series, I want to be able to help us put more meat behind these words. That our, 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 the purpose of who we are as Five Stone is grounded and empowered by, by the gospel. That us growing in our worship as, a, as is us being a disciple and then us being missional and influencing the culture that is around us. So today we're, like I said, we're in week two. We're looking at our discipleship, uh, primarily our discipleship through worship. But before we get into that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for giving us just the privilege to be here today the privilege to worship, the freedom to worship. And Lord, as we come before you today, Lord, we just ask for your spirit to fall in this place. That as we come together as a church, that we move with your spirit, that we experience what you're doing in this world. And Lord, that as we see you move, may we worship you and may our worship be an expression of just who you are. So Lord, we thank you. We come before you. We ask that you speak to us today, but we also ask that you move your church today. So Lord, we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be talking about what it means to be a worshipful church. Okay, so... The idea of worship and the definition of worship is simply the feeling or expression of reverence. To worship is to respect, to honor, or to give devotion. This idea of worship is not exclusive to just what we just did in terms of our singing our songs and, and, and giving praise. Singing our songs and giving praise is, is, is one way in which we express worship. But to worship, that concept is literally not reserved just for the religious. But the idea of worship is about reverence, right? We see actually, even if we look at our city council meetings, you know what they refer to our mayor as? Your worship. If you go into a court, courtroom setting, the judges are, are, are referred to as your worship, it is a, it's, it's a title of respect. It's a posture of respect, and it's a posture of reverence. So worship is not exclusive to church. However, worship is a driving force for the church. And we're going to talk about and define that a little bit more of what is worship in our church. 
In the world, we actually see people worshiping all the time. We worship our favorite bands, our different musicians. We worship athletes and celebrities. When we worship, one of the things that happens is we start to follow and know everything we need to know about someone or something. You could say that we begin to become disciples of whatever we worship. We begin to immerse ourselves not only in just knowing, but also the culture that is around it. We begin to invest our time or money. And you know when we begin to invest time and money, that this is something that we usually align ourselves with. This is essentially the core of being a disciple of Jesus. If we are to worship Jesus, then what we ought to do is that we need to immerse and align ourselves with him. Our thoughts, our beliefs, our actions, all of these things begin to be shaped by who Jesus is. And in that place of shaping, we are reminded of his faithfulness, his promise, and we begin to meditate on his truth through our study. Worship helps us reinforce and deepen our understanding of the Bible, and it fosters growth as a disciple. In Romans 12, 1, Paul writes this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. God's mercy through the gospel which is his love poured out, brings us to our knees, right? It's his kindness that brings us to worship. It's his mercy that brings us to worship. It's his sacrifice and his gift that shapes and transforms us. And our worship allows us to encounter his presence and we're made, we're, we're made aware of his goodness and his grace. And it humbles us to be more aligned with his desires and our lives begin to reflect his character. You see, discipleship requires transformation. And worship leads us there. It postures us to surrender and to submit. And nurturing and deepening our commitment to follow Jesus and to become his disciples. One of the biggest challenges that our culture has in this place of worship is that we begin to conform to the patterns of the world. You see, the church has always been called to, into this place of tension, okay? The tension of engaging culture but remaining faithful to God's word. You see, our cultural landscape is always changing and these days it seems to be changing faster than, than the old days. Some of the kids don't even know what the old days are. Actually, Sophie was talking about how she was talking to a kid and that kid didn't know who One Direction is and she felt old. And I'm just like, Sophie, you're, you're young. The fact that you listen to One Direction means you're young. But she was saying, no, I don't even, I don't even know. I, I talked to a kid that didn't even know who that band was. And I'm just like, oh man, either I'm getting very old because if Sophie is saying that she's old, then I don't know where, what this world is going to. But our world and our cultural landscape changes so fast now that as a church, we actually need to learn how to engage with it. Instead of 
shying away from it. The church needs to learn how to engage in it. However, we must always do it without compromising biblical truth. Peter warns us about this. Peter warns us that the world is waiting to put for the church to put our guard down. In 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9, it says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Today we see a lot of Christians starting to compromise in their faith because the pressure of being liked or being re- relevant or to love people the way that people feel is more important than, prom- than the promises of God and the love that God has for them. God's love is so much bigger than what we could offer as love. That God's love restores, that God's love transforms, that God pours this transformative power of God's character into his creation. That brokenness can be restored through his love. But what we see now is that the church is beginning to preach something that is much more watered down with no solid ground and that it is washed and it it just feels like washed out secondhand gospel. And that the second that hardship comes, that we fall. Sometimes the church right now only focuses on the blessings but forgets sometimes the trials that we need to go through is required for transformation. Did you know that sometimes to be renewed is hard work? Did you know that sometimes to be renewed, it requires us to go through some trials? Why? Because transformation requires hard work. Transformation requires us to reconfigure ourselves. At my son's school, they're going through this project right now and they, they, they recently finished and it was the study of butterflies, right? So my son's really into butterflies right now. He loves seeing butterflies every time we go to the playground. He's looking for monarch butterflies because this is something that's very apparent for him. So it's something very real for him. And so he, he took out this book about butterflies the other day from the library and we were reading it together. And did you know the transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly? I mean, if you look at a caterpillar and you look at a butterfly, they, they look like two completely different creatures. Right? They don't look like the same. They don't look like they're related. They don't look, there's no, no ounce besides here, the colors of the, the caterpillar to the colors of the butterfly. There's, there's no resemblance of each other. In the process of transformation, when the butterfly becomes a chrysalis, I just learned this term chrysalis, okay? I always called it a cocoon. It's, it's basically the same thing. The chrysalis is a more scientific term, so I, I got schooled by that because my son's like, it's not a cocoon, it's a chrysalis. Well, great. <laughs> Six-year-old is telling me what it's called. But that in this chrysalis, the, the caterpillar literally liquefies himself, right? It breaks itself down in this cocoon so much that it becomes soup, and what God has put into this, the, this creature is what they call the image disc. It's almost like a, re, a blueprint for this caterpillar to be like, okay, now I need to take this soup and reform it into legs, into wings, into antennas, into a completely different thing. 
It doesn't lose any of it itself. But what it does, it is reprogrammed and redefined with what it already has to become something brand new. To look completely different than what it was before. That's the process of transformation that the caterpillar has to go through. What we go through is nothing like that. We don't need to turn into soup. We don't need to get into a cocoon and turn our insides out and liquefy ourselves to be transformed. God allows us to go through transformation and says that I am going to renew your what? Your mind. But to renew your mind, sometimes we have to break down the things that we know in order for God to do something that is new. Right? That's the transformation that discipleship is about. That God takes who we are. It doesn't take away our identity, our self-worth, or anything like that. It doesn't take away our, our integrity. It doesn't take away our character. It doesn't take any of that away. But we are transformed in our mind to start thinking the way that God thinks. To start seeing the way that God sees. And to start acting the way that God has placed Jesus in this world. And says, this is my example for you to live by. Now align yourself to him. How do we do that? How do we start aligning ourselves to the person of Jesus? Through worship. Beyond what we're singing, worship is a lifestyle. Worship is us coming to a place of reverence for God, what he's done for us, how he's created us, And saying, God, you are my everything. That before you, I was a broken person and you are bringing in restoration for me. And because of that, I can worship you. And when I worship you, come into my life and realign what I need to become. That's worship. Worship is saying to God, I need you more than anything else in this world right now. In this world that we live in, and I mentioned this last week, the gospel that we preach to ourselves usually tends to go alongside how we feel, right? And I, I know last week I, I, I said that, I may have came off a little strong last week, But how we feel sometimes takes us away from what God really wants to say to us. But we align ourselves in a gospel where it's like if we don't feel okay with it, therefore it must not be the gospel. But what God is saying is just like how you feel should actually be shaped by who I am. How you feel You need to come to that place and that reminder of that I died for your sins. I'm restoring brokenness. I'm restoring healing into you. I'm bringing back wholeness to those feelings. So sometimes how we feel is not an accurate place because we're still in that process of transformation, right? And so yes, okay, maybe at this stage in my my walk with God, I feel this way, okay. 
But don't let that be your gospel yet. It's okay to feel. I, I think it's okay to, for us to be in those places, to feel those feelings. But don't make that an absolute gospel for yourself. Continue to strive for what is ultimate, where God has set the bar, where Jesus has set the bar. Sometimes we set the bar too low for ourselves with the gospel, you know what I mean? Where Jesus set the bar up here, our gospel is here, and it's like, okay, I've, I've, I've met it. That's good enough for me. No. There is only one gospel, and there's only one bar. Don't set a new bar. Allow Jesus to be your prize. This is Philippians 4, right? Like, allow Jesus to be your prize. Allow Jesus to be the one that brings wholeness and healing and, and transformation, because that's how far you could go. That the church, we're called to be what? Imitators of Christ. So the bar needs to be set at Christ. How we behave, what we do, how we think, how we feel, all of that needs to be set by who Jesus is. That's what sets the bar for, for, for the church. I think when the message revolves around how the world feels and perceives things, we begin to align ourselves with the political values of the culture more than what is written in scripture. Then we begin to worship the wrong thing and as disciples we are not being made. What we're making is some perverted version of the church and not the one that Jesus came to establish. So as a church, what we're supposed to offer is a distinct alternative to the prevailing values of society so in a society that we live in of individualism and consumerism and secularism, our worship is to bring in the presence of God to all the places that we go. Jesus called us to be salt and light. We're called to preserve and to bring flavor to the decaying world and to shine the light of Christ into darkness. Matthew 5.13 says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Here's the most important part for you guys today. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Did you catch that? Last week I said that the church is made out of a bunch of weirdos, right? That we're all weirdos in, in our own way. There's truth to that, but, however, I don't want us to be so weird that we become irrelevant to the gospel, okay? Being weird can either draw people or it could repel people. And our job is to bring people in. So, how does a bunch of weirdos do that? Well, I think Jesus laid it out for us. I think the key to our weirdness needs to be kindness. Kindness is weird because people don't expect it. Right? Kindness is weird because it makes people feel valued and it gives worth and it protects people's dignity. Kindness is doing something for someone in which it allows people to see the transformative power of God. 
Jesus used kindness because kindness brings people to repentance. As a church, some of the things that we do is very weird and when it comes to that interaction with society. It's very weird. Let's be honest, right? But to be kind is something that everybody values. To be kind is a reflection of God's heart. To be kind is a gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to confess something that's going to be like, oh, okay, Pastor John is weird. I love watching Karen videos on on Instagram. (laughs) You guys know what Karen videos are? They're basically videos where it's these either ladies or gentlemen. Most of the time, they're self-professing Christians, okay? And it's probably the worst witness to the world. But they are these people that are irate about the smallest little things, whether it's traffic or whether it's grocery store bills or whether it's, they're just not getting their way so they throw a tantrum, right? That, that's basically what a Karen is. I'm sorry if there's anyone named Karen, that's not you, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying that's who you are. I'm just saying that society calls them Karen so I, I'm just calling them Karen videos. Like, I just watched one the other day. There was a guy idling in his car. A lady walks up. He's just like, what are you doing sitting in your car, letting all the pollutants come out? This is illegal. And the guy's like, I drive a Tesla. <laughs> right? And the, <laughs> like, he's sitting in his Tesla, and this lady is screaming at him, saying, like, you're letting all the pollutants in the world. And this guy's like, I'm, I'm, I'm an electric car. He's like, don't make that as an excuse. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like watching a bad accident. You just can't keep your eyes off of it. <laughs> Where am I? (laughs) Gospel-centered worship. When we extend kindness, we begin to worship who God is. When we are able to extend kindness to people, we are now exemplifying who God is in our lives. And when we start doing that, not only do people get to experience God's presence, but you get to experience God's presence. Did you know that? That when you extend kindness, that people feel love, but you get a, a taste of just God's kindness to people. And you begin to worship God in a place where you've never, you've never been able to experience before. So church, be weird. But don't be a Karen weird, okay? <laughs> be weird in a place where you're able to constantly extend kindness to people. As you walk through the street, extend kindness. In those places that you need patience, extend kindness. Because that's where the gospel is going to be seen. That's where the weirdness of the church begins to exemplify the glory of God. Right? See, worship is about proclaiming the good news of Jesus all the time. It directs people towards the redemptive work of Christ, reminding the church of the cross, and inviting others to encounter the saving grace of God. 
This fuels a renewal of the church and equips believers to live out their faith. In Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Salvation comes through the power of God only. Okay? The church is a place for people to witness the power of God, that you are to live lives that glorify that power of God, to live lives that exemplify and is the example of the power of God. But it is only God that can give salvation. You know what that does? Is that takes the pressure off of us. That is not our job to bring people into the kingdom. That is God's job. But it is your job to worship him. That your lives are lived in a way that constantly worship who God is. Right? That's what this is talking about. That we are to live in a way that always glorifies God. That always brings people to a place of asking the question, why are you so weird and why do you live this way? And that weird better not be negative. Okay, it better not be a Karen. But it better be like the Samaritan that helped. Remember the, the story of the, on, on the road and a Levite passes by, doesn't do anything. A preacher passes by, doesn't do anything. But a Samaritan, where the Jewish people look at the Samaritans like, who the heck are you? You're, you're a half-breed, we don't care about you. He shows kindness. He shows kindness beyond what is expected. Puts him, up, puts him up, continues to pay for his care, checks up on him. That's the kindness that we're asking for. That we live in a place where we're constantly understanding that God is in this place that transforms us to be more like him. Do you know what the number one reason that non-Christians doubt Christianity you guys know what it is? So there's this group called the Barna Group. They do a lot of these surveys. There are five reasons. I'll give you the other four first before I give you the number one. The other four reasons were science, conflict in the world, human suffering, and the fact that one religion can't have all the answers. But the number one reasons why non-Christians doubt Christianity is this. It's the hypocrisy of Christians. 42% out of those five reasons, it took 42%. It's the hypocrisy of Christians. You see, people are always watching what we do. I mean, you do that too, right? We're always seeing how people behave and act But if we look at the statistics and we see that hypocrisy is the biggest reason, I think as five stones we need to do something about that. That we need to start living differently. 
But we need to start living in a place where hypocrisy cannot be a reason for people to not come. That we as a church family could start changing that. If we could start to take away more of that percentage of that number one reason of hypocrisy that we could just live authentically as ourselves and, and with the transformative power of Jesus working alongside us, that if we live in, a, in that place, I believe we're gonna begin to see more and more people feel safe to come into this, this, this place. I want this church to become a place where people can come just as they are. Just as they are. That we treat, the way that we treat people that are coming into this church, that we are kind, that we cultivate a safe place for individuals to come, where they could express their joys, their struggles, their doubts, and their victories, that we're fostering an atmosphere where we are connected to one another, and with God in genuine community. You know, one of the things that I struggled with along, for a very long time, as a Christian, as a believer, one of the things that I struggled with, with the church, and this is even as a time as, as, as I stepped into ministry and as I was a pastor, I always felt that I couldn't be myself because I would be questioned and I would be judged and I would be looked down upon. And I always felt that my, spiritual, my spirituality wasn't good enough. James gives us this picture. He says in James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But the reality when I interact with the church and my personal experience with the church is that the church is actually known more for pointing out sins and casting out people than a place of confession and healing. That even as I stepped into ministry, I never felt like it was a safe place for me to confess my sins, for me to receive prayer, for me to find wholeness. Because this is the narrative of the church. This is what everybody is used to about the church. And I was scared that I would never belong or worse, that I'd become an example of what not to do. But a safe place means that we're able to come together as a community and we're able to step in that place where we're confessing our sins, where we're praying for each other and where we're healing from these places. That we are righteous because Jesus is righteous. That we are powerful because Jesus is powerful. That we're effective because Jesus is effective. And has nothing to do with who we are, but everything to do with who he is. So church, what does a safe place mean to you? What is that safe place where people could come to that place of feeling like they could express their joys, their struggles, their doubts, and their victories, where they could, where they're in an atmosphere where they are able to walk out their journey with God? I believe that when you feel, start begin, when you begin to feel safe in that place,
then you're starting to foster that safety. I know that this is going to take time. I don't expect the church to go into this place right away. I know that it, it requires us to dismantle a lot of things in our heads. It requires us to be transformed. It requires us to go through that, that, that internal struggle, that mindset re- renewal, where it, it's how do we see these people? Do we see these people through the lens of Jesus or do we see these people through religious church upbringings that we hold on to? That sometimes we have to dismantle those things. That the way that we're brought up in church or the way that our, our family has brought us up and the, the values that instilled, sometimes those are the things that we have to actually say, no, those are the wrong things because Jesus would not do that. Jesus hung out with the tax collectors. He hung out with the prostitutes. He hung out with the people that were lowest in society, people where nobody else wanted to hang out with. That we need to start seeing these people the way that Jesus sees them, that Jesus sees them as you are a child of God, you are a creation of the great I am. And I'm able to bring you back to a place where you could be restored and you could be healed and you can be made whole. I want this church to be that. I want this church to not only within ourselves to experience the healing and wholeness, but that others that walk through this door experience those same things too. That they could come in through those doors and say that the Spirit of God is alive in here and I could interact with, you, with, with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus just as I am right now. That I don't need to be something or I don't need to know something or that I don't need to, to learn to become something before I belong. That I belong first. That Jesus accepts me exactly where I am right now. I don't need to, to justify my behaviors. And that as a broken person, I could come and receive that forgiveness. And restart to begin that process of restoration. Because the church is a place for renewal is a renewal of our mind and our heart. That the principles of worship is actually holistic and it seeks to inspire and challenge. The idea of worship is about renewing our mind. It is it's how we get into the idea of who is God for us. That we actually need to intellectually engage as much as we feel it in our hearts. That we need it to be robust in our theology and our understanding of the scripture. That we need to feel and fan our worship. But we also need to be grounded to know what is good. In Proverbs 9.10 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And in Psalms 119.11 it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord, teach me your decrees. That church, we need to discern what is from God and what is not. That we need to have wisdom in what is the gospel and what is the false gospel that is being preached out there. The scripture says that we need to guard ourselves with wisdom to equip ourselves for lasting change. That our heart and mind is to be engaged 
together in worship. And that we need the Holy Spirit's work to do this. That our worship requires the Holy Spirit to transform and ignite a passion of God. That as a church, we seek after the Holy Spirit and that for the Holy Spirit to move and work in our church. Jesus said to the church before he left in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in all of Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That the power of the church is a church that has a Holy Spirit working and the evidence of what would be a church that loves, that has joy, that finds peace, that exercises patience, that shows kindness, it practices goodness, it remains faithful, and it exhibits gentleness and exercises self-control. That Five Stones, our worship, eagerly seeks the presence of the Holy Spirit and we need to invite him to move and work in our services. We need to invite him to move in our cell groups, but more importantly, we need to invite him to move in our personal lives. That it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are disciples. Our worship of Jesus is what transforms us to become disciples. Disciples that represent the kingdom of God. I'm gonna end with this verse, Psalms 95. It says this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands form the dry land. Come. Let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pastures, the flock under his care. I believe this psalm encapsulates the essence of our worship. It calls us to worship. It acknowledges his sovereignty and reminds us of who he is and it urges us to bow down and kneel and embrace the posture of humility and reverence and surrender. And that we are then reminded that he will take care of us. This is our worship. This is our discipleship. Five stones, we are to rise above the cultural challenges, engage in countercultural worship, centering it on the gospel, to pursue authenticity, to engage our hearts and mind, and to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Worship is not confined to just our gatherings, but it engages every space of our lives. Can we be renewed through worship and extend that to your community and to the places that we are sent to? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, that you remind your church of who you are, what you've done on the cross, that the gospel comes to a place of our lives where we see just the work that you're doing in our, in our lives. 
But Lord, may our worship be one that, only, that not only gives you praise, but may our worship be one that powers the transformation that needs to happen in our lives. May your, our worship be one that drives us to a place of discipleship. So Father God, as we come before you, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and empower us. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come and to reveal things in our lives that we need to let go of. Embrace the things that you have for us. And Lord, I I ask that our worship is a life that glorifies you. So Lord, we love you. We give all praise to you. And Lord, may we worship you today, tomorrow, and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, John just brought such a great word about the tension that we live in. We're to be part and we live in this world and yet we're not to adopt it, but we're to help shape it. And that goes into our personal lives too. You know, we we use these terms normal and weird. And I think we all wanna be in the normal camp but yet, when you look at the, 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 the word weird, it actually, you know, it originally had this being supernatural. That's what made you weird. And, you know, if that's the definition of weird, then, then I really want to be weird because it means that, that my God is supernaturally in me. And it means that he is supernaturally working through me because I don't want to be a normal Christian without the Lord moving through me and guiding my path. That is where we get Karens. That is where we get maybe great intentions, but misguided ones. And we want to have the filter of Jesus. We want to, we want to look at the world. We want to love on people. Jesus was weird. He met with weird people. He did things counterculturally, but he was also super weird because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that was what guided everything he walked through. He was human, and yet through the Spirit, he managed to walk out this world in perfection. And that's our goal. We'll never get there, but that doesn't mean we stop trying. It doesn't mean we, we do everything we can to be more like him. And again, it's the first step is being weird and inviting him in. It's, it's being filled so that when we walk out, it's, it's not just, okay, I'm going to, you know, give this homeless person $20 because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. It's, we're weird and we give it to them when we feel the prompting. We give them the prayer with it. We walk away praying over them. And these are the things the Lord wants to do. We all walk out different, different ministries, but I think John nailed it, the ministry of kindness, Right? The world talks a lot about kindness. I know my, my kids come home from school all the time, you know, be kind, anti-bullying days. And, and we stand in complete agreement with that. The difference is, is we acknowledge that that doesn't come naturally out of us. We aren't all naturally kind. We are broken, spiteful, selfish people. And the kindness that we have to pour out on others comes because of the kindness that the, Jesus pours into us. We can transform the world because he transformed us first. So, Lord, we just um, take these words to heart. Lord, we take you into our heart. And, Lord, we ask that you make us weird, not in the way that 
makes the world turn away from you, Lord, but in the way that makes the world attracted to you, Lord. The crowds were attracted to your son. He was weird, but they came to him because he spoke a truth. He spoke love. He spoke mercy. He spoke grace in such a way that it answered the cry of their spirits. And they had to be there. They had to go leave the cities and go stand in massive crowds without food. All to hear what he was saying. And Lord, we, we seek that desire in our life. Lord, we live in a place of comfort and abundance, but we seek that hunger to go after you, to hear the things that you are speaking over us so that we can be like the disciples. We can be taught, we can be trained, and we can then go forth. And we can go forth being just as weird as he was because we have him as our example. We have your, your word to be our filter. Lord, we don't, we don't want to go forth in, a, in a, a cultural filter or a church filter. We want to go forth with your filter. And Lord, the amazing thing is your filter for each one of us is, is so unique and it's so personal to our skills, to our talents, to our personalities. Lord, you, you seek to change us, but you seek to change us by enhancing the things that you have already put into us. And so, Lord, we just invite you in here this morning. We ask you to come, come into those places, Lord. Come in and change us from the inside so that we can make changes on the outside. We can make changes outside this building, outside this city, outside this country, because that is what you have called us to do. That was the commission that you gave us. And you also gave us the authority to go do it as well. So Lord, we just, um, just ask your blessing this week. Lord, we just ask that your, your favor would be upon us as we leave this place. But Lord, that your words would sink into our heart, be permanently written there. So that Lord, as we go through our days, as we go through our meetings, as we drive in our car, Lord, the call of your spirit on our spirit would be strong. And Lord, that we would hear and we would obey. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Go forth and be blessed. Thanks, you guys.